Welcome to Alumni Evolution, the official podcast of the Kentucky Wesleyan College Alumni Association. Join us each week as we interview incredible alumni and friends and follow the evolution of their lives. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Alumni Evolution, the official podcast of KWC Alumni. I am Doug Hoyt, and I have the privilege of being your host. Today, we have another great show with another fabulous guest. Today, I am joined by the one and only Chad Benefield. Good to see you, Doug. Welcome. I'm glad that you took some time to spend with us today. This I'm is looking forward be fun. to it. Um, I love that you got this gig, by the way. Well, you know, I can't let you outdo me by being the only <laughs> one that sits behind a microphone. No, this is a great gig. I mean, I think this is a really cool idea, too. I mean, well, you know, we're trying to reach out to some alumni and uh, tell some stories along the way. And really, all this is is a little relationship building, right? We just get to know each other. And that's the whole idea of this podcast is talk a little bit about uh, Wesley and your time here. And, of course, we'll tell any of the stories that you want to tell people love hearing those We've got plenty of them uh, yeah and then uh, you know kind of the evolution of chad right what have you done since and where has your life taken you and hopefully we meander down a path that people find interesting okay done we'll do it good so uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, you your time at wesleyan tell us when you were here and what well, I guess whatever you want to tell us about what you did when you were here. Yeah, so I, I got to Wesleyan in um, the fall of 1989. I graduated from Davis County High School. I got an academic scholarship here. Um, and, you know, it's interesting when um, I was looking at colleges all I could think about was going out of town. Um, but there was a, a massive appeal for me about Wesleyan, so I ended up coming to Kentucky Wesleyan. Um, lived at home. No, actually, you know what? I think I lived on campus. I did live on campus, uh, much to my parents' dismay. <laughs> they were well, like, are we really going to pay room a and little board more expensive, for you? That's right. <laughs> yes, I mean, are we? What's you wrong with this room? <laughs> Ten minutes away from campus, but um, but it was so much fun, and I, I was I was involved in a lot here. Um, I grew up a theater kid, so I was very involved with Wesleyan players. Um, did a few shows while I was here. Um, I think I changed my major maybe five times uh, in the course of <laughs> time that I was here because I just could never decide exactly what I wanted to major so in. So a typical college student. Oh, for sure. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, Kentucky Wesleyan was known for writing workshop, the the brainchild of of, uh, of Dr. Darrell and John Combs, who was amazing. And and actually, fun fact, I've, I've said this before, um, but it's worth sharing here. In so many ways, and it, it was so random how it happened, John Combs, you know, who passed away recently. I loved John. He was a, he was awesome, a brilliant man, a man. Um, he's kind of semi responsible for my career in radio, even though like the way it came about is just happenstance. But um, in one of his writing workshop classes, we were given this assignment. We had to write something, but he wanted us to record it. And of course, this is back in you know 1989, maybe right. early 1990, where we had these portable boom boxes. You could put a cassette in, a Memorex, <laughs> and speak into the microphone and record yourself. Um, and so I recorded this project, and then we had to go to his office. We each had to set up office time with him and go in, and he would play back the recording. So I remember going and sitting down in his office, and I was really proud of what I had written. I didn't think anything about what I had recorded. And so, uh, and so John hit play on the uh, cassette recorder, and within a minute or so, he said, Chad, 
you should consider a career in radio. Now he had not heard it prior to that point. He had not, no. And I didn't think anything about it. And I and certainly and radio was not on my radar at all at that time. And it wasn't for years later. Um, but it was kind of wild when I started working in radio, I immediately flashed back to that conversation with yeah, Dr. Dr. Combs. Combs yeah. yeah. I mean and I remember, the, okay, he, he said, you should have a career in radio. And lo and behold, here I am. In fact, you know, during the COVID um, pandemic, Kentucky Wesleyan um, was a Rooster Booster sponsor for the Chamber of Commerce right. breakfast. And we came to campus to record a bunch that. of stuff. And I was actually sitting at the fountain out here, and I was kind of reminiscing about that. And I, I got emotional thinking about that conversation with, with Dr. Combs because... In so many ways, that day, that seed was planted in my head because, um, you know, at that time, I didn't know what I wanted to do professionally. And even, you know, even after college, I moved to California and worked for a theater company. And then I decided out in California, I'm going to go into broadcast journalism. And uh, I, I really think that, that, that John Combs planted that seed in my head and it really sort of grew into the career that I have today. You know, Chad, that's interesting that you mentioned that story because uh, in my conversations with people, I find that there are so many of those very similar seeds have been planted at Kentucky Wesleyan. Yes. And I I like to think, and, and, and I believe it's true, that largely that's due to the size of the college and the fact that you become more acquainted with professors than you do at maybe a large university where you might be just a number with hundreds of students in a room. You're a person. Oh, and for sure. And you really get acquainted with them and you become friends with them. And those seeds do get planted and cultivated. Maybe a little more at Wesleyan than they do someplace. There's no question. And 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 look, I, I spent time um, at another university, uh, which was... 24,000 students as opposed to 800 students. Um, and, and I did have a couple of relationships with professors there where I would go and sit in their offices, but there was nothing like the experience that I had at Kentucky Wesleyan. I, I, I mean, I'm still friends with professors that I had here to this day. Joe yeah, back Britton, in the eighties. Yeah. Joe Britton's another one that comes to mind. I mean, he's long retired, but you know, I grew up a theater kid and, um, I took plenty of classes, um, you know, dramatic literature classes with, with, with Joe Britton and, he would always take students to New York City to go watch Broadway shows, yes. and um, and I do that to this day. I mean, I go every single March, and I will see an entire season of shows in a week or ten days or something like that. And uh, and 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 Joe Britton is still going to Broadway, and he's still watching shows and doing the same thing. And um, I just had tons of experiences like that here, and it's it's kind of wild being able to compare because I spent a lot of time in school. I mean. <laughs> That happens a lot, I think. So there are many who have turned four-year degrees into six or eight or yeah. more. Well, I went on to graduate school. I mean, and I, I spent a lot of time in my life in in school, and particularly like higher right. education institutions. And, you know, I'll look back at my time at the University of Louisville. I did graduate work at, the, at Western Kentucky University. Uh, I did undergraduate work here at Kentucky Wesleyan. What's so wild to me is the lasting friendships I have from college are all rooted here. 
they're all here. Uh, I think about the people from from college that I'm still in contact with. They were people that I walked across this quad with, uh, or at three o'clock in the morning on the SIGEP floor were like, hey, we should drive to Gaylord Opryland Resort and go look at Christmas lights. Let's get in Amy's Bronco and do it at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's go. Road trip. Yeah, I mean, I have so many memories like that, and I'm still really, really good friends with a bunch of fraternity brothers that I had here. I was a SIGEP. Uh, I am a SIGEP, and um, I'm still friends with a lot of those guys. So uh, let's kind of circle back just a little bit. Wesleyan, and then you said another school, that other school yeah, was? Yes, so I went to the University of Louisville. Okay, uh, I actually transferred there. My degree is from the University of Louisville. Uh, so I did two years here, two years there, and then I went to graduate school um, at Western, but actually there was a big chunk of time between undergraduate school and graduate school. Because as soon as I, I graduated um, from undergraduate, I moved to California within three weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. Because that makes sense. Um, but, oh, um, sure. And again, that kind of goes back to being here at Kentucky Wesleyan. I was a writer. I've always been a writer my entire life. That's that's what I do best. Um, and I always say I can, I can speak about things all day long. That's probably my second biggest talent because I can talk about anything. Um, but I think I'm an e- even better communicator if I get to write things out. And I've done that my whole life. And so being at Kentucky Wesleyan and being in the writing workshop programs, that, that was heaven for me. And so um, when I finished my undergraduate degree, I applied for a screenwriting fellowship through Disney because I wanted to be a screenwriter. And so for this particular fellowship, I had to write an episode of an existing television show. And so being an overachiever, I wrote two. Um, I wrote an episode of Friends, which ultimately I used to apply for the fellowship. Uh, And then I wrote an episode of The X-Files. Okay. Um, so the episode of Friends, I, I kept reading it. And I'm like, okay, this is what I should submit for the the fellowship consideration. So um, I went to the post office, sent my script off, the application for the Disney fellowship, and I was convinced I was going to get it. So I just decided to go ahead and move to California. <laughs> so, oh. So when I got yeah. the fellowship, I would already be in California. That's right. Well, I didn't get the fellowship, but I was in California. <laughs> yeah. So now it's time to get a job. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I was um, literally within grad. I graduated and within. Within three weeks, I was in I was in San Diego, California. Oh, I wow. just moved. I called my parents and said, "Okay, so this is random. Um, in three weeks, I'm going to move to San Diego." And I remember my mom saying, "What? Why?" I said, "Well, because I can. Like, I have some place to stay. I'm just going to move to California." So I did. And within a brief amount of time of being there, um, I started working for a theater company. It was called J Company. It was a division of the Lawrence Family Jewish Community Center in La Jolla. Um, and that turned out to be a fantastic job. I loved that experience. because Not to mention, La Jolla is an amazing place to be. Yeah. And an amazing place to work. Um, every lunch meeting I ever had, I scheduled outside. Of course. By the Cove. Of or, course. Yeah. Any place that had outdoor seating. It was <laughs> it was amazing. But um, And that was a really cool experience, too, because... Um, you know, I, I'm not Jewish, but I got hired at this Jewish community center and I loved my time there. It was educational, um, it, at times inspirational. I worked for, the, the program was for um, like theater youth. So I worked with kids 18 and under um, and uh, had a blast. I'm still friends with a bunch of those folks from there. Um, it was a really rewarding experience. And just developing, just uh, plays, uh, developing the kids, uh, yeah. what age kids? Yeah, so we actually had a full theater arts curriculum. So okay. I taught all kinds of things. Okay. I taught I taught musical theater. I taught improvisation. Um, so we had a 
full um, course that like kids could come take after school. Yeah. Um, and then we also did a full season of shows um, that uh, we, we would actually determine the, the the plays we were doing. Kids would audition and we would we would stage them in professional theaters around San Diego, particularly the Lyceum, which was downtown on Horton Plaza. Oh, absolutely. That was one of our that was one of our theaters that we used. Yeah, that's very well known. Yeah, it was it was a really cool experience. And actually, during that time frame, I've told this story before, too. It's kind of wild. But I ended up uh, being offered a, a position as production director for the Streisand Festival of New Jewish American Plays. So you have like this kid from Owensboro, Kentucky. <laughs> right. I mean, very theatrical, obviously. I knew what I was doing, but here I am. I, I served as a production director uh, at La Jolla Playhouse for the Streisand Festival. And yes, it's the, the Streisand you're oh, yeah. thinking about. Um, and it was a celebration of new Jewish American plays. And uh, it was it was a really, very really cool. cool experience. Yeah. So how long were you there in San Diego? So I was there for a couple of years. Um, I decided... And this, this uh, will account for that that separation between undergraduate school and graduate school. So I was in California and decided that I wanted to go to graduate school. And I actually thought about California at the time had a really cool program for for teachers. Um, if you wanted to uh, pursue like a teaching uh, career in California, your education would pretty much be taken care of. So I really weighed that because I was already working in education to some degree right. being at the theater uh, company. But... I kind of fell back on my other love, which was public speaking, um, and um, and so I decided to apply for a broadcast journalism program, a graduate program at New York University. Um, so the idea was I'm going to move from San Diego, the ninth largest city in the United States, <laughs> to New York City, the largest city in the United yeah. States. And so I, I got into the graduate program, and um, so my goal was to drive across the country stop in Owensboro, my parents were, stay for a couple of months, just save some money before I went off to NYU for graduate school. Well, within maybe six weeks of being back, through an acquaintance that I made at Kentucky Wesleyan, I got hired to work at the radio station um, across the street from the school, which was WBKR. At the time, WOMI was in that building. It still is. That's WVJS right. was in that building. It is not anymore. It was actually sold to a competitor. And then 96STO was in that building. Right. So when I got hired to work there, I got hired to work for all four of those radio stations. And so when it came time to go to NYU, like in June, I'd been working at the station for about five months. School was going to cost $90,000 for three graduate semesters. And I thought, am I going to pay ninety grand to go learn in a classroom, <laughs> what I'm getting paid minimally to do on the job. But getting paid nonetheless. Yes, <laughs> minimally. But it just, so it, it did not make sense because I, I, I had a hunch that I was probably learning more at work than I would have in class, even though it was in New York City with all kinds of opportunities you know, connected to NYU. Um, but, but think about the different time frame. opportunity. For yeah. sure. But think about the time frame. And we're talking, this would have been 1999, mm -hmm. months away from a tornado mm -hmm. that ripped through this campus and this town, um, which that was the biggest trial by fire learning experience I had at work. Um, I was literally instantly thrown into being a broadcast journalist. Um, because this F3 tornado came through the parking lot of the radio station. Absolutely, and right across Westland. Yeah. And so 
within a year, I had that experience. And also remember the same time frame, President Clinton came to Audubon Elementary School. Correct. And I covered that event on the top of their, of their uh, I think they had a tornado slide in the playground of school. And that's where I stood and covered the arrival of President Clinton. So within a year of turning down NYU, I had those experiences that I would not trade for the world. So it probably was a good trade. For sure. No question. I'm mean, considering where you are today. But then, you know, it, you, it, I had a fellow tell me one time, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> and at the time, you know, I didn't understand what that meant. But that's what you had was a fork in the road. Yeah. You, you took it. You chose one path. And, you know, the rest, they say, is history, right? But here you are. You had a lot of opportunities. Yeah. So go back. When you first started working for... Did you work for all four? OMI, BKR, yeah, uh, BJS, yes. uh, all of them, uh, doing what? So believe it or not, and this will this will kind of show the time frame. When I when I went to work at at the uh, the radio stations across the street, um, there was a four person news department. We had a full-fledged radio news department. So I started in radio news. Um, and so I really was working in broadcast journalism. So um, I was actually hired. A lot of folks from this area will remember the name Lee Denny. Oh, absolutely. Lee Denny, legendary news personality from this area. Well, Lee, and this would have been 1999, Lee, or 98 into 99, Lee was running for public office. He decided to run for central county commissioner. Well, because of equal time laws, Lee could not be on the air in his Otherwise, capacity they as had news to director. Give the equal time to every other candidate. Yeah, and so again, through an acquaintance that I had through this school, they knew that I was in town and they were looking for somebody to be able to fill in for Lee pretty quickly. And so um, I happened to see the the request and um, and I applied. And within a couple of days, I was sitting down with Lee in the break room at the radio station. And he said, so I've been told you can fill in for me. I'm like, I will be happy to. And so that's how the, the I got my job. I mean, that, so we had a four person. Of course, knowing that nobody could really fill in for Lee Denny. Right, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, he was the man, the myth, the legend. He was, you know, and, and uh, I will say one of my, one of, I think one of my greatest honors professionally, and this is going to sound kind of morbid and sad, but it's the truth. I mean, Lee passed away a few years ago. He did. But I was invited by his family to give his eulogy um, because, I mean, Lee and I shared that bond. I mean, in, in so many ways, Lee's responsible, not only for me being in this town, but for me evolving into the person that I've become. That's right. Growing up. Yeah. I mean, Particularly he's, in the business. He's responsible. So it was an honor to be asked. Um, to stand up and give his eulogy and, you know, lead the crowd in sharing their memories of Lee because Lee was a staunch professional, but he had a cutting sense of humor behind the scenes and I lived for it. <laughs> he was acerbic, he was hilarious, and he took no prisoners and I admired that so much about him. He was awesome. <laughs> so you you, you did the, uh, the news piece for a while. Uh, yes. How long? A couple um, of years? For, yeah, for a couple of years. Um, and actually, radio, the business is known for this. It still is. Uh, budget cuts happen. Absolutely. And actually, so I was about to be fired because of a budget cut. Uh, and the day that they were going to let me go from the radio station, the production director at the radio stations resigned. And so I remember uh, the, the general manager at the time was Gary Exline. And Gary called me into his office. He said, Chad, 
So here's the deal. Um, we're making budget cuts and we're going to have to cut the news department. And that means we're going to have to let you go. However, um, <laughs> the production director just resigned and I will give you that job if you want it. Well, at this point, I had turned NYU down twice because I had I, I, the, the fork in the road you mentioned. The fork. I came to it again because after about six months, I'm like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? You got into NYU. Why would you turn down NYU? You always, you've always wanted to live in New York City. So I reapplied to NYU. Got in a got second in time. Again. Yes. <laughs> so oh I was at gosh. the fork again. And I literally had just turned them down a second time when I was going to be let go. And so I remember saying to Gary, I said, so let me get this straight. My choices today are I can lose my job or I can take this job. I said, okay, easy. I'll take this job. And so I was production director for a couple of years. And then in 2004, I joined the morning show. So I've been on the morning show now for uh, 20 years almost. Um, just short of 20 years. Just short of 20 years. And uh, so now um, I'm director of content for Town Square Media, Evansville, and Owensboro. So in addition to doing the morning show on BKR, I'm in charge of the programming on BKR, and I oversee programming on seven radio stations, two in Owensboro, five in Evansville. So I have, a, I have an office in Evansville, too. So I have a staff of about 15 people in two cities. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so this is the morning show on BKR is the only on air that you do other than special. Yes. Uh, so I'm on, yeah, I'm on Monday through Friday, um, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. So I'm, I'm uh, one half of the morning show. Mary Catherine Maddox is my latest co-host. I just hired her in May. She's killing and she's awesome. Um, so, yeah, so that's my on air job. And then my management job starts at 10 a.m. <laughs> and never ends. And never ends. That's exactly right. <laughs> in fact, just this week, an employee in Evansville resigned. And so I'm like, okay, tis the season. I'm going to spend the holiday season uh, hiring a replacement. That's part of the job. But uh, Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> hiring people today is a unique experience. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I consider myself very privileged. I work for a pretty progressive media company. Um, people... People hear WBKR and they know radio station, but um, the the stations in our company are so much more than that. I mean, we really are websites. We're social media sites. Um, in, in my line of work and what I love about the company that I work for, I mentioned earlier, I'm a writer by trade. That's, that's what I do best. And so... Um, you can't work for my company without being a writer, because <laughs> in addition to being on the air, you're online. So we're constantly creating content for our website. So I get to do my two favorite things every single day. And, and you know, so going back, that I don't think really has, in some ways, hasn't changed a lot. I recall back when I was at Kentucky Wesleyan, which is 1980 to 84, uh, for the last couple of years, I, I was on the WKWC at that time. Nice. It was the days during which they played classical music. And I'm not sure that with the antenna we had, we even reached to the other side of Frederick Street. But <laughs> nonetheless, it, it, it was experience. It was fun. It was back in the days, by the way, when you actually had to apply to the FCC for a license, a license. to be on the air. Yes. And I, I told somebody not long ago, uh, I was cleaning out a room in our house and I ran across my license in an old wallet. Amazing. I still have it. Um, but it, it, we we were taught that at the time. You know, we we did the news piece 
and the the sports piece right where you told the scores and people think sometimes it's very easy to get on and just say well you know the the cardinals five and the reds two and uh but you got to put it together sure you have to be a bit of a writer in order to be able to say it yes and back in those days there was no computers so it was written it was it was written on a piece of paper a typewriter whatever you wanted to use where today now it's digital media and it's it's a different writing platform but you still have to be a writer to be an effective communicator is that fair oh absolutely uh, certainly for our company. I mean, we we, we require it. I mean, in, in fact, we, we consider ourselves a digital first company uh, because that is the driving force behind what we do. Um, it, it's it is crazy to think, because BKR is a huge station, 100,000 watts. We reach portions of five states, Tennessee, Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, and, uh, and Missouri. So you think in terms of, I know how many people can hear the radio station in this area. We reach pretty much from Nashville to Louisville, all points in between, even up north beyond Evansville. So it's 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 crazy to me knowing how many people can hear that station on a daily basis to see how many people interact with our website on a daily basis. It's insane. In fact, recently at a Rooster Booster breakfast for the chamber, um, I had a couple... They approached me after the breakfast, because I MC that, and um, they introduced themselves, Pete and Chrissy. They're from New Zealand. New Zealand. New Zealand. And they have a vacation home at Rough River. Uh, through various friends, they ended up buying this vacation home in Rough River. They listen to our station in New Zealand because they can listen online or through the app. Yeah. And they yeah. and I'll get text messages from them. Of course they're, you know, way ahead of us time wise. But they'll be sitting out at night listening to the morning show. Oh, because how funny. this connects like the, the station connects them to this yeah. area which they love being yeah. here. So when they're in New Zealand, they want a taste of Kentucky, they just pull up WBCare.com or the app and they can tune in and get a taste of their second home. So it's, it's wild. It's not local. It's not just regional it's not just national yeah it's international for sure and that that, is so crazy to think amazing yeah well i mean look that's i mean you you and i can remember when like you said there weren't computers when there wasn't social media um and that's that's one of the 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 regrets i have about my california years because that was the mid-90s that was before the advent of social media platforms right before and so you know, I left California with friends in California and being removed from them for almost 25 or 26 years now. I remember them. I don't remember everything about them. I wish I could remember the last names of some of them because I would love to track them down. And it's been a struggle trying to find them. And it's been, it's, and I think it, for people who, who weren't alive back then, like they don't understand that that dilemma that we have right absolutely right because everything is preserved now and that's from every detail to every friendship you have it didn't used to be that way and so those of us who were (laughs) who were plowing through the mid 90s i would love to go back and live that time frame with social media because i would still have a big piece of that time like with me now that i don't have and i can't get back because my memory's just not working like it used to no yeah but you know one of the uh uh, one of the things that I have the privilege of also doing is I'm an adjunct professor here at Wesleyan. I teach uh, principles of sociology. And one of the things that I share with my students is that 
technology, predominantly the computer and even more focused the cell phone, has completely changed the world and it's done so in a very, very short period of time. The last 20 years has advanced significantly more than the, the previous 200 years yes. in, in that kind of comparison of time. And it's largely the fact that we have a computer in our hand and the computer connects us with everything, information, yes. people, uh, social media being one of the most significant platforms that we have yes and it's phenomenal yeah i mean it, it, society is just very different yeah and you know i mentioned earlier uh, the, the friendships that i've maintained uh, from kentucky wesleyan thank goodness for social media because i talk to those folks all the time in fact tomorrow on the show i'm one of my fraternity brothers is going to be part of the show tomorrow because we're talking about thermostat wars and he's one of those people if you go to his house it's set on 65, and he'll tell you, if you're skinny, wear a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> and so, well, I'm cold. I put all, all the clothes on that I can. I freeze. But And, and, and you're exactly right, though. I mean, social media and, and really and the phone in general, I mean, it, it's just put everything at our fingertips. And it's you're right. I mean, it's it's changed the world. Sometimes I wonder if it's for the the better. Uh, you know, I think that's all a matter of perspective. For right? sure. It's, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But are you like me? I get my weekly report from social, like for Facebook, and and, and obviously from for work. I have to be on Facebook Absolutely. a lot. Uh, that's how we communicate with a big chunk of our audience. But on Sunday afternoons, I get my report. You've spent. An average of six hours and 43 minutes a day on Facebook. I'm like, oh my gosh, have I really? What did I do? I know. Right? And of course, I think about it. I'm like, did I burn that much time on social media? But then I'm like, wait, Chad, stop. You're That's not weird. burning time. Yeah. It's a resource. But, but it's your job, too. It is. You're being paid to do it. Sure. Yeah, well, sometimes, right? <laughs> Maybe it's not all the time. It's crazy to think, though, when you see that amount of time you're spending. Because, I mean, look, when we were kids... Can you can you ever imagine this? So I, I my first cell phone uh, I think I got when I was uh, thirty three years old. So that would have been in the mid nineties. Yeah. People today, kids today. I mean, I have five grandkids. The youngest one's two, but the rest of them. <laughs> They, if they don't have a phone in their hand, they don't know what life is like, right? You and, know, they, I, and they know it more than you do. Like, I, I see kids... Oh, I need help. I go to them. Yes, who can navigate a phone or an iPad like a boss. It's impressive. It absolutely is. You know, now they can't necessarily <laughs> sign their name, but, you know, I'm, well, well, that's a whole different commentary. We won't go down that road. So when you were at Wesleyan, you were a SIGEP. Yes. Yeah, I was also SIGEP. Yes. So it, how cool is that, right? And I'm finding there's just so many out there that were, you know. I, I run across them all the time, and it's just amazing. Uh, I yeah, don't know if you have the same experience. How much fun was it? I loved it. Oh, I had an absolute blast. Yeah, I, I was the social chair of our fraternity <laughs> for uh, for a couple of years, so I was in charge of parties. Uh, that was really fun. Um, but, yeah, and again... Um, 
I just think about some of the times like in the chapter room. Of course, when you and I were here, we had the entire second floor of that building. That's right. Uh, now, I think that's split in half, right? And I think there's a sorority on one side, that's maybe. Right. Well, co-ed, certainly. Yes. I don't know if it's a sorority, but it's co-ed, which yeah. was never heard of back in the 80s, for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, we would, we would not have done that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it was a total blast. I love being in that in that fraternity. Um, and again, a lot of those friendships have, have sustained um, uh, recently. You know, one of our fraternity brothers uh, passed from some COVID complications, and a lot of folks came back for like a memorial service for him. And you know, there were guys there that I hadn't seen some of them in over twenty years, and we didn't miss a beat. You know, we walked in the room and gave hugs and picked up like we were literally sitting in the chapter room. That's right. That's right. Having a toga party. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Bringing the sand up to the second floor, you know, and. <laughs> Getting hollered at by the dean. Yes, a lot of that. Now, uh, Doug, you know you shouldn't do that. I remember that line a lot from the Dean Garrell. You know, now, Doug, you, you shouldn't have done that. And we had, I mean, we had such a wide variety of people in Sigma Phi Epsilon, too. I mean, um, from from pretty much every major, we had folks who played sports. You know, we had theater folks like me, and uh, it was a, just a big variety of people who were in that fraternity. And, and we had a blast, and our numbers were strong. I mean, I think— um, In the 40s. Yeah, easily. Yeah, easy. Yeah. In the forties, it was uh, it was it was a fun time. I know we had a blast. We were um, very competitive in intramural sports at the time. I know that it, it was just something to do, you know, uh, for the non athletes. And that was me. Of course, I, I was there. Um, uh, they celebrated the fortieth year of the return of football this year. Uh, that returned uh, my senior year. And uh, I had played some high school in football, but I had been not playing high football for three years. I wasn't about to go back and do it again. <laughs> so I watched that first year, which was a very, very bad football team. Uh, but, you know, it was just we played football in the quad. Yeah. Right. Well, that was an annual uh, tradition, right? There was a SIGEP pledge game Sigma versus Sigma Nu, right? Yeah, I played yeah. in that game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got to play in it, and then the, the next year I got to coach the pledges, and uh, we lost our game and won when I coached. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I'm one and one. <laughs> yeah, and I think historically the Sigma News were a little, I think, by design, a little more athletic than the Sigaps, but we always hung in. We always played well. Well, I, athletic, I don't know. I just think they uh, was more like the Oakland Raiders. You know, they were dirty. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, and we and I remember doing something else. Like we had, um, I don't know, I, I forget what it was called, but I feel like we had some sort of fraternity, sorority. Olympics of some sort. I know there was a singing competition. Um, mm. I remember um, some Sigap brothers and I, because uh, se several of us actually sang in Kentucky Wesleyan singers. Okay, and I've got plenty of stories about that, uh, including uh, a spring break trip where dysentery broke out on the bus. It was horrific uh, for a 19-hour road trip from Louisville to Tampa. That was fun. And Diane Earl, the fabulous Diane, Diane Earl, Earl, she's the first one that got stricken with it, and then she passed it to the rest of the bus. It was horrible. Um, but we had, we had a singing competition, and it was an acapella competition. And I remember uh, some SIGEP brothers and I, we had white button-up shirts. Somehow we got like black top hats, 
we had this thing fully choreographed. It was like a barbershop octet. There were eight of us. (laughs) And um, we we wrote this original song that we performed and sang and we won. Of course. We nailed it. <laughs> of course. Um, but yeah, so Wesleyan singers. Let's talk about that for a second. So yeah, so we, um, anytime I see people who sing in Kentucky Wesleyan, like the new crop of singers, I always ask them, do you have to give up your spring break like we did? Because <laughs> we didn't have spring break. If no. you were a Wesleyan singer, you were going on tour. Yeah. And so we would, you know, uh, Bob McIver was here. He was the choral director at the time. Of course, Diane Earl was the accompanist. She was fantastic. But they would map out where we're going to go for spring break. Absolutely. And one year we were so excited because we're going to go to Florida. And so uh, I, we, I think we actually sang a concert in Louisville, which is why we were there. And the next morning we were going to board the bus and drive to Tampa, like the Sarasota area. Uh, because I think a former student of Bob's lived down there and she helped coordinate some church appearances for us and some concerts or whatever. That's how it came about. Literally by the time we got to Tennessee, everybody on the bus had the flu. It was horrible. Oh my gosh. And there was no turning back. I Miserable. Mean, that bus was bound for Florida. Bob McIver was determined that his singers were going to bust up in these churches and perform. <laughs> and I'll never forget when we finally got to Sarasota. <laughs> We had some time before a rehearsal that was planned. And so they took us to uh, St. Armand's Key. There's, because uh, it's great shopping there, there's also a beach there. So the bus pulls up. All of us are, are limping, crawling off the bus. <laughs> We've been on this bus for 19 hours, miserable. Uh, so we get, we go to the beach. We're trying to make the most of it. All of us are sick. And then we went to rehearse. Mm. We sounded terrible. And I will never forget Bob McIver just laying into us and telling us how bad we sounded. <laughs> We're like, of course we sound bad. We all have the flu. We now have sun poisoning. <laughs> the worst spring break ever. And I'll have you know, when we pulled back into Owensboro after seven days, it was snowing. Yeah. We pulled into campus on that on that charter bus. In March. All miserable, all wearing shorts because we all had fevers, and it was snowing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The things you never forget. Yes. It is burned into my brain, but gosh, it was fun. Oh, my heavens. So, <laughs> you know, I you mentioned something a while ago, and I have to go down this road just a little bit. You talked about Rooster Booster. Yes. So, I'd, I'd, a couple of years ago, it seems like now, maybe longer, my, you know, time passes, right? <clears throat> you were given the opportunity to be the MC on Rooster Booster. So talk about that a little bit. Maybe everybody doesn't understand what Rooster Booster even is. Yeah, so Rooster Booster is a decades-long breakfast that is sponsored by the Greater Owensboro Chamber of Commerce. Um, And it meets monthly. It's the first Thursday of every month, uh, with the exception of spring break week. We always have two in March, one at the beginning, one at the end, so we clear the spring break week. Um, But basically, it is a celebration of of local business. Um, And and business leaders come. We have a, a, a program. There's typically a featured speaker of some sort. There's always a breakfast sponsor. Wesleyan is a is a routine sponsor of that breakfast. They sponsor, I think, once a year. Um, and it really is just a big gathering to get together and talk about, obviously, what's going on in business in Owensboro and the surrounding areas, but also kind of what's going on in general. And so Kirk Kirkpatrick- Just a celebration. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so Kirk Kirkpatrick was the MC. I think he, I feel like it was 35 years. Uh, and Kirk actually worked in radio years ago here in town and then went on to work for Waxworks and very well known in town. And I think, I think it was about 35 years. Well, Kirk retired from his job and decided he wanted to retire from Rooster Booster too. So the search was on for a replacement. Um, and so um, at the time, Amy Jackson was the CEO of the chamber and she reached out. She said, hey, um, the board, we've had this conversation that Kirk is leaving and we want you to be the replacement. Would you consider doing that? So we met a few times and and I thought, okay, this could be, okay, I'm, I'm down with this. This could be fun. And so I, I think it's been 10 years. 10 years. It's close. I'm not sure exactly when I took over for Kirk, but we're, we're pushing the 10-year mark, so, which doesn't seem possible. You know, for, for those that don't know, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the Rooster Booster event is very likely the largest regular chamber meeting in the country. Yeah, probably. Uh, there, there will be three to 400 people on a regular morning at this event. Yes. Uh, so this is not just a small meet in the back of a restaurant. This is a convention center type event every single month. Um, one that has great notoriety for this community and this chamber yeah. and uh, so it's a pretty big deal to be the host uh, kirk as we all know was famous for the good news phone <laughs> yes. right I, I never forget that that's uh i've been going to the rooster booster events since uh, 1985 oh my goodness 1985 after i graduated from with my master's degree came back started working at grad okay yeah and uh started going randomly not not every every month but uh yeah and you'd always hear kirk answer the phone it would ring and say that is good news <laughs> yeah there would be some yeah. announcement on the other end about a community event or something yeah yeah you know a job creation or a community event or, <laughs> or something so i remember that that's my some of my earliest memories for of, sure of the rooster booster and then you got the opportunity to take over and you've made it your own. Yeah. Um, well, that was, and that was it. You know, we talked about that because, I mean, and truly the good news phone is Kirk's legacy. I mean, that's that's what people remember him for. And, and certainly I was not going to try to mimic the good news phone. Um, and so, you know, we've done a lot of different things. And, I, and, I, and I'm kind of a guy that loves variety. I, I like changing things up. I like surprises. Uh, you were part of a surprise a couple of months ago when we broke out into... Uh, a presentation for lip sync battle and i'm pretty sure you ended up with the boa at some I, point during I, a mama mia number. i had pink boa feathers <laughs> on my blue sport jacket that uh brenda my wife asked me about and uh i said you just you gotta ask chad <laughs> <laughs> it's just and we try to you know we try because um and look, it's early morning. Folks come in. It starts at seven thirty. What's supposed to start at seven thirty? It never does. Uh, we try to. I try our best to get close to seven thirty as possible. But um, you know, it's it's a pretty formal gathering for the most part. Um, so we like to spice it up and 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 send people out feeling really good about the day. And so we 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 try our best to come up with some way to send people out smiling and upbeat to go tackle their day. Um, so that's that's kind of how I approach it every time. Yeah, and I think. I, I really think you do a good job with that. You Thanks. know, the, the 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 crowd enjoys the. I, I think it's a blend of uh, 
information, seriousness, and levity. Yeah, that comes together to for a, an hour and a half, and you know, you kind of go, "Hey, I'm proud of this to be a part of this community." Yeah, it's uh, it's and, and that, that's exactly what it is. I think it is a celebration of the community, and and we say community, people think Owensboro and Davis County, but you know, we have members from outside of this oh, area. Yeah. We have a bunch. Yeah, it's not Owensboro. Yeah. It is the community whatever that means mm-hmm. davis county mclean county ohio county spencer county yeah. perry county i mean it's it's the community and my favorite large. parts of rooster booster are when we get featured speakers who aren't from around here and when they come in and get to experience a that breakfast but then b the hospitality that's my favorite part when we get somebody who has no connection to this area who comes in for the first time and gets to experience that event and the spirit of that event and the spirit of the town that's my, those are my favorite days so we've had a couple of opportunities to be sponsor uh, we being wendell foster um, and we've brought folks from out of town even as far as uh, california and, and different places and they've been i'm going to say genuinely shocked at the event they just don't understand what it is they think it's maybe a little speaking engagement right there's 400 people you know and they get raucous and they they celebrate and they eat and they have fun yeah and they they don't realize what it is and they just are impressed with everything about the community and the event you know um and, and this is the truth i'm not saying this just because you're here but over the course of 10 years, and it's been it's been close to that long I've been emceeing, one of my all-time favorite and will always be one of my all-time favorite Rooster Boosters was the one that we did for you all in the past year. Um, when you unveiled the STEPS program for the half marathon. Yes. Um, there was so much positive feedback about that event and the impact of it um, after it happened. That's probably one of my proudest Rooster Booster moments ever. It Thank you for saying that. It 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 was amazing. We got a lot of good feedback too, and that it, we just tried to mix it up a little bit yeah. too, but do something positive. Yeah, right. And so if if you're listening, you don't know what that is. So so Widow Foster um, does sponsor a half marathon, and and for the upcoming half marathon, they actually have a program for clients of the facility where they can actually participate in steps and walk a marathon leading up to it and then finish out on the day, which are half a half marathon. Um, so what we decided to do that morning is introduce it to the crowd. And we had a couple of clients from Wendell Foster who were willing to take their inaugural steps in front of the crowd. So, you know, I talked with some of the members of your staff to kind of game plan that. And so we decided it would be really cool to do a ceremonial lap around the tables, the breakfast tables. Well, we knew that one client was going to go for oh, it. Oh, absolutely. And so we and we thought that that was the client who was going to do it. Well, what ended up happening because of the, what happened in the room that day, because everybody was cheering, another client who was only going to walk a couple of steps in front of the stage ended up doing that ceremonial lap, too. It was tremendous. It was fabulous. And, and you know, just to put a little more uh, uh, definition to that. Wendell Foster uh, serves people with disabilities. And so all of these folks have uh, either a developmental or intellectual disability that uh, them taking the steps equivalent to a half marathon is a huge feat. 
it's an absolute uh, miracle for some of them to be able to do it. And um, we, we felt like that was just a, a tremendous way to engage them and, and get them part of the marathon. And so they, they are going to cross the finish line and be meddled uh, <laughs> just like you have. Uh, you know, Chad, you've run our half marathon and we've meddled you and they're going to do the same thing. They just get to do it over a period of time. So yeah. thank you for mentioning that. Oh, I loved it. And and and, and really, I think in, in terms of that breakfast in general, my favorite ones are always when diversity is celebrated. And I think that Wendell Foster is certainly a part of that. Puzzle Piece is the same way recently with the when you were up on the dais that day and we did the lip sync battle reveal. Um, I, I think that those events, when when diversity wins the day where everybody in the community feels a part of that, uh, that event, that experience, I think that's when we're our best. I think that's when the city's at its best. All right, so let me... I'm going to switch gears again. Sure. Let's talk about family. I love talking about family. Yeah. So what do you want to know? I want to tell me about your family. Okay, so um, so you're from Owensboro. We'll I am from there. Owensboro. Yes. So um, so actually, yes. Yeah, so my mom's still here. Um, in fact, my mom works for Puzzle Pieces in town. Well, she's retired. She worked for Khaki. Uh, for years, retired, did some in-home provider work. Uh, she's a nurturer by trade. That's what she does. Um, and then um, she stopped being an in-home provider. And within, gosh, weeks, I'm bored. I need a job. <laughs> <laughs> so she went back into service providing, which is what she does, uh, which is awesome for her. So, yeah, so she's still around. So my stepdad, a lot of people from this area know my stepdad. Uh, my stepdad was Alan Quinn. Um, the uh, the uh, professional organist and, and pianist, and uh, he owned Alan Quinn Music. Uh, he actually passed away in 1999, which seems, gosh, that seems like yesterday in so many ways. And then I think about it, it's like, oh my gosh, that's been a long time. That's been like 24 years, um, which is hard to believe because um, he was a huge mentor to me in life. Um, he taught me so much about about music which I was a huge music fan anyway but his his approach to music was way different obviously than me listening to Casey Kasem on the radio I mean <laughs> he was a classical musician I mean he was a classical pianist and organist I mean the man could sit down at the piano we had a grand piano in the in the uh, like family room and he would sit down at it without any sheet music at all and play every song known to man Oh, wow. Like he knew everything. It was crazy. And I spent a lot of time, you know, traveling the state with him because he played concerts like crazy. And and he rarely used sheet music. Like he would sit down in an, in an auditorium full of people and play an entire concert without looking at a single piece of sheet music. Um, it's pretty impressive to watch. That's fascinating. Yeah, it was really, really, really cool. Uh, so I'm married. My husband's Kevin. Uh, we've been married for, I think, seven years now. Together for 25. Um, rescue animal household. <laughs> yep. I see those all over the uh, Got plenty Facebook, of them. Facebook, social media. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now we're, we're, we're three strong now. Uh, we have Yogi, Simon, and Ellie. Um, so Yogi and Ellie are both rescued Bashan Frises, uh, completely different personalities. Simon is a rescued Karen Terrier. Uh, for those of you who are like, Karen Terrier, what's that? Uh, Toto in the Wizard of Oz is a oh, Karen Terrier. Okay. So my Simon is a is a descendant of that 
of that breed, and he is absolutely adorable, but he is a terror because he's a hunter <laughs> like most terriers are. Uh, so I've had to pull him off various possum in the backyard, and he's a tiny dog, but he's taken down a few. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I have other relatives who live here, obviously, Like, uh, but my sisters, are they're all gone. They're in different parts of uh, it, both both in Indiana, actually. Um, so they're not they're not local anymore. Um, but um, my uh, I have an aunt who lives here in town, relatively small, like core group of family. Um, in this area, you can have like very large families. Where oh, they're absolutely. Like, <laughs> I mean, we're, we have large families in this area. I'm not one of them. I have a, a very small family. Like my cousins are in different parts of uh, well, one's here in Kentucky, one's in uh, South Carolina. So we're sort of all spread out. But okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, we unfortunately are approaching the end of our time. I knew we would not do an 18-minute show, Doug. We would not do an 18-minute <laughs> show. Uh, but I do have one question that I like to ask my guests. Sure. <clears throat> this is the only planned question I ask, and I, I will ask it and then tell you why to give you a chance to think about it. Okay. <clears throat> Tell me about your favorite vacation. Oh, gosh. And the reason I ask is this. Uh, <clears throat> Brendan and I will, in the not-too-distant future uh, years, be retired, and we like to travel. And so I'm stealing travel ideas from my guests. Fair? Fair. Uh, well, you know I'm a traveler. Absolutely. Like, I love to travel. That's right. And, that's, I and see I've your, been a lot of places. I see your adventures. Okay. So, oh, this is going to be, oh, this could be a kind of a complicated answer. Um, can I give two? Oh, absolutely. Okay. You're the guest. So, um, so we'll tackle... In 2021, during, uh, again, the ongoing COVID pandemic, travel op options were very limited. Um, so Kevin and I decided that we were going to go on a safari to Africa. Oh, nice. And so we flew during the pandemic because there were certain parts of the world that you could actually go to, uh, right? And obviously you had to provide vaccination status, all that kind of thing. Um, but... Um, we we did some research into safaris in Kenya, and so we flew to Nairobi and went on a safari, and it was absolutely everything that I thought it was going to be. It was incredible. Uh, I'm I'm a huge animal fan. I have been my whole life. Uh, I'm captivated by animals. I think that they're just amazing to behold, and so being within an arm's reach of a pride of lions was pretty awesome. Uh, and seeing them in their natural habitat, you know, watching cheetahs stalk their prey, um, seeing buffalo and seeing uh, a leopard. Again, I could have reached out of the window and touched this thing. Didn't because <laughs> I would have lost my arm. Probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, but that was incredible. And we tent camped. We tent camped uh, pretty much all over Kenya, um, which was awesome. In fact, I remember our first night at Amboseli or just outside of Amboseli uh, Reserve. We were staying at, uh, I can't remember the name of it, um, at, at a tent camp. And dangerous obviously because there are predators everywhere um we had you could not walk to your tent alone you had to have members of the maasai tribe guide you to your tent because obviously they live there they understand the patterns of animals and stuff like that so we'd be walking in the pitch dark uh with 
Maasai tribe members on either side of us, you know, taking us to our tent to like tuck us in for the night. And the rule was when you go inside the tent, you don't come out until it's light. And so I remember about three o'clock in the morning hearing this noise and I could tell that something was outside of the tent. And I knew whatever it was, was huge because I could tell by the sound and the way that the tent sounded in its presence. Well, lo and behold, it was an elephant. Oh my gosh. And its ears were hitting the side of the tent. <laughs> so that was kind of wild. Um, that was a great trip. And 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 I have to I have to say, we drove through a lot of Kenya during that trip. We went um, in, in the southern part of it and then the, the, the mid part. Um, gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful land. So just so you know, before you give me your second one, you're, you have just committed yourself because that is at the top of our bucket list is an African safari. So I'm going to have to pick your brain. I'll be happy to help. It was amazing. Um, Another trip that I loved, and and this this one you may have difficulty um, taking because of the circumstances that are going on now, actually just got back from Israel. Um, And so it's, you know, it it always, it always, because I travel a lot, I go to a lot of different places and I have like zero fear. Um, I love being in places that are that are are foreign to me, like literally and figuratively. I have no issues going to some place where I don't know the language. I don't know where I am. I love it. I live for it. So um, in advance of going to the Middle East uh, this summer, I was asked repeatedly by people, are you nervous about going? Well, no. Why would I be nervous about going? Um, and, and, I, and I wasn't nervous while I was there. I loved it. Um, and what I found so fascinating about the Middle East is especially, particularly being in Israel, <clears throat> where I was sort of at the epicenter of the major world religions where oh, they absolutely. all converge, right? And uh, and I'm, I always say I'm kind of like a religious bystander. Like I, I love to observe the impact of religion on the world. I think I think it's fascinating. Um, and and I always tell like my friends who are like devout churchgoers. I'm like, you know, I've probably had like more religious experiences than than you have because I've been out in all these places in the world. I've, I've visited like lots of different faiths and, and, and been to places like that. And Israel to me was a really, I, 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 I'm not sure the, the word to use to describe it. Um, it was educational, it was challenging because, so when we toured Jerusalem, um, I found a, a guy through a website called Tour by Locals. His name's Ron Lev. Um, he and our friends, I check on him all the time now because he lives in Tel Aviv. I'm checking on him every couple of days to see how things are going and, and, and how things are progressing. So Ron, I learned this when I met him, is an Arab Jew. Okay, so that that's kind of a rarity, right? <laughs> so when, when he took us to Jerusalem, um, we were also going to go to the West. So Bethlehem's in the West Bank, right? So Ron... Arab Jew drove us across a security checkpoint that basically separates Israeli land from the West Bank, Palestinian territory. Okay. He drove us across the checkpoint to the parking lot of a school. And at the parking lot of a school, like we were in a spy thriller, (laughs) we had to exit Ron's vehicle, get into 
another van that was driven by a Palestinian who Ron had arranged for us to, to for him to give the tour to us. Yeah. He then drove us away from the school into the West Bank to Bethlehem, where he then dropped us off roadside. We were picked up by a Christian tour guide to take us through Bethlehem. Oh, wow. So I was fascinated by this. Just by the the politics of it, right, and 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 the the very defined lines about what is appropriate and what is not appropriate, and so I remember asking Ron. I said, "So wait a minute, why are you dropping us off?" He said, "Look," he said, "Don't worry about it. You're fine. I'm the problem." He said, "If he said if I go into the West Bank, there is a likelihood that I could be abducted and held for ransom, even though I'm just a tour operator." And I thought that was just so fascinating and also kind of sad um, that those types of politics are at play almost every single day there. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. And, I, and you know, and, and I think I think from an American standpoint, this is what I found so educational about it. I think for, uh, Americans we're really good at assuming that that, that everything's about us, <laughs> that we we just make assumptions that the world revolves around the United States. It doesn't. And so that's one reason I love to travel so much, because you really sort of learn what the rest of the world looks like and how it operates. Right. And, and one thing that I th- one assumption that I think a lot of Americans make is that, well, Israel is Christian. Well, no, it's not. In fact, I think 3% of the population in Israel and 3% of the population in Bethlehem is Christian. That's it. Yeah. And so you know, our, our Christian tour guide, hearing his perspective inside Bethlehem was really interesting because his faith is way outnumbered. And I remember him saying to us that day, he goes, you know, he said, there's so much tension here. All we want is to live in peace. And I remember when he said that, like being from this hemisphere of the world, like that's hard to grasp, right? When you hear somebody say, all we want to do is live in peace. Because I feel like here in the United States, despite some infighting, it's a pretty peaceful place. All in all. Yeah. But there it's not. And and being in the mix of that was really eye-opening. Um, and it was a it was a really educational experience that I will never forget. And there were so many dynamics at play there um, in in terms of religion and gender. So, for instance, like when we were in we were touring Jerusalem, you know, old the old city is broken up into four quarters. Right. Um, and so I remember as we passed from the Muslim quarter to the Jewish quarter, we had to go through full military security. And but you look around and it's like cobblestone. But in the middle of all this old world architecture, you have very high tech metal detectors and sensors. And I remember thinking this is the craziest like dichotomy to me that I've ever been a part of, like walking through this old history and then having to pass through soldiers and metal detectors and screening devices yeah. to go from yeah, the Muslim side dichotomy. to the Jewish side. Yeah, it was it was it was wild. Um but fascinating, educational. I loved that experience. Um I've been asked repeatedly, aren't you glad you weren't there, you know, a month ago? Um I guess looking back, that could easily have happened while we were there. I don't know what that would have looked like but, if but it I happened. think that could have happened at any point 
in that part of the world. Yeah. You know, that tension exists and has yeah. for 2,000 years. Yes. You know, so it, it could be any time. Yeah. But it could be over any time, too. Sure. You know, and I, and I and you were asking about travel, and I would highly recommend that you go. And, you know, who knows how long it's going to be before Americans can go back there. I mean, it's, it's, That's right. it's going to be a while. That's right. Um, which is it, it's sad, um, but but obviously what's happening there is is way more sad, and it's it's um, I, I can't even just having been there, I can't imagine what it's like. I mean, we spent some time in Tel Aviv, which that city is amazing. Could easily move there. Uh, it was it was phenomenal, and like I said, I've been checking on my friend and stuff like that, and to see how things are going. And you know, there's like he works in tourism. There is no tourism. Not now. It's I mean he so he says you know I'm just going about my daily routine. But that for me was um, a really educational experience. And and sometimes when I travel, I want that. Um, I want to I want to have experiences that I can't have on my home turf, and that was definitely one. Excellent. Well, thank you. That's that's amazing. Now that one I probably will press pause on before we go, yeah. but uh, you know, and let things kind of calm down. But the African safari, we're going to mm, get you in a jeep. I tell you what, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to happen. <laughs> hey, my friend, I I am so thankful that you were able to join me today. I uh, am fascinated. I, I very much enjoyed our conversation. I hate that we are at the end, but. That might just mean that we have to schedule a part two. (laughs) Well, I appreciate the invite. This has been fun. So thank you very much. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another edition of Alumni Evolution, your KWC podcast for uh, alumni. And uh, until we talk again, have a great day. This has been another episode of Alumni Evolution the official podcast of the KWC Alumni Association hosted by Doug Hoyt, class of 1984. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow the Alumni Association on social media at KWC Alumni. See you next time, Panthers.